0: Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, preparing for Mother Nature's Worst. What you need to know about Ohio's Spring Severe Weather Awareness Week, ahead of today's statewide tornado drill. Also this morning, the Senate is going through the motions of a Supreme Court nomination hearing this week. Democrats already have the votes to confirm, so how hard should conservatives push back? And Director Sarah Clevidence wraps up Community Read Month and previews the programming and events coming in April at the finley Hancock County Public Library. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. It is Cuddly Kitten Day. I've been waiting for this all year. (laughs) Cuddly Kitten Day. It is also Liberty Day. It is OK Day. The term OK was used in print for the very first time on this date in 1840. According to the Greeks... They say that the term comes from the phrase Oskala, uh, which is spelled O-L-S-K-A-L-A. Olskala, which means everything is good or all right. O-K, Olskala, And that's where it comes from. That's what the Greeks say, anyway. I, I don't know uh, whether that's true or not, but it sounds good to me. Uh, National Chip and Dip Day. National Melba Toast Day. It is National Chia Day today. Chia, Chia. Your Chia pet, Chia pets. If you got one of those for Christmas, today would be the day. <laughs> actually take it take it out of its package and actually do something with it. Um and it is World Meteorological Day today. Speaking of which, uh got a press release from the uh Ohio Department of uh is the Ohio Department of Emergency Managed... Hang on, we'll get it here. I got to call it up here in my... um, From the Ohio Emergency Management Agency, the Department of Public Safety, uh, saying that the statewide tornado drill that was scheduled for today, scheduled for this morning at 940, that has been canceled because there is, in the forecast, the possibility of some actual severe weather. Uh, And so they don't want to... You know, confuse people and say, is this real or is this not? Because there's the threat of uh, possibility of real-life severe weather, they don't want to uh, do the statewide tornado drought. So that has been uh, axed for today. Although um, the possibility of severe weather, uh, it looks like, is probably not until later on in the afternoon. Uh, not expecting anything uh, too troublesome early in the morning. When the statewide tornado drill was supposed to take place, but nonetheless, out of an abundance of caution, they have uh, canceled that. Make so no. Uh, did you see? Speaking of severe weather, did you see the uh, images and the videos coming out of Texas on Monday? The uh, storms uh, barreling uh, through the Lone Star State uh, were no match for a 2004 Chevy Silverado. Don't know if you heard about this story. A video filmed by storm chaser. Brian Mfinger showed a massive tornado flipping the truck on its side and spinning it around a full 360 degrees as debris from a mobile home was flying all around it. It was like something out of the movie Twister. Miraculously, the truck managed to flip back over, land on its four wheels and drive off seemingly unscathed. Uh, The uh, storm chaser, uh, Mr. Empfinger, wrote in a tweet documenting the insanity. I cannot believe that they just drove away. Uh, Storm chaser Marcus Reynolds told the Fort Worth Star-Telegram that the driver (laughs) was a teenager um, and the only injury was a cut on his arm. Can you imagine? But he's got a story to tell. (laughs) He went went back and told all all his friends, you won't believe what just happened to me that's crazy uh certainly can't uh, uh can't say that we would encourage you to <laughs> do that yourself don't try this at home kids some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to uh, get your wednesday morning started you know how it is a standard trick in police dramas on tv the you know, law and order and uh blue bloods and CSI, all of these to get a suspect's DNA by offering them something like a glass of water and then swabbing the DNA from the from the cup. You've seen that in in the police shows, right? Well, that does actually happen in real life. And now the New York City Police Department is being sued by the Legal Aid Society for keeping a database of those DNA samples. And uh, the reason they're being sued is because uh, legal aid says this database contains uh, potential evidence on thousands of innocent New Yorkers. The lawsuit is asking a judge to declare unconstitutional the practice of secretly taking, analyzing, and maintaining people's DNA in its suspect index. Critics say it's a violation of privacy for police to collect DNA without consent Such as by offering a suspect something to drink or offering a smoke and then getting DNA from the cigarette butt or uh, the the can or the the glass or whatever, even if people aren't charged with a crime. The NYPD said it operates within the law and describes the database as an important tool in pursuing justice for crime victims. Critics of the database note that a conviction is required before someone's DNA can be entered into a state-run database, but databases created by local authorities do not have such a restriction. Stay tuned on that. Kind of interesting. going to be some people who won't want to hear this among the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Speaking of the word buzzworthy, it seems you can get addicted to medical marijuana. Researchers at Harvard University found that many people given a medical marijuana card to ease pain, anxiety, or depression symptoms actually become addicted to the drug and they did not experience any improvement in their symptoms. In addition, those using the drug for relief of anxiety or depression were at the greatest risk for developing a cannabis use disorder. The co-author of the study, Jody Gilman, says our study underscores the need for better decision-making about whether to begin to use cannabis for specific medical complaints, particularly mood and anxiety disorders. There needs to be better guidance to patients around a system that currently allows them to choose their own products, decide their own dosing, and often receive no professional follow-up care. So, kind of a monkey wrench in the whole medical marijuana argument there we'll see where that goes i'm not saying it's good or bad i'm just i'm just reporting it you make of it what you will it's kind of interesting and um, uh have you changed your password recently and you say my password for what your password to anything anything connected to the internet whether that's your uh, computer your facebook account your bank account your whatever your email Short and simple passwords can be cracked in a matter of seconds, while long and complicated ones could take hackers trillions of years. This is according to a recent study from Hive Systems, which is a cybersecurity company based in Richmond, Virginia. They broke down just how long it would take the average hacker to crack passwords, safeguarding your most important online accounts. And their findings suggest... That even an eight character password with a healthy mix of numbers, upper and lowercase letters and symbols, which that's really the basic requirement for most websites. Now, you create an account, uh, you are required to create a password with at least eight characters, uppercase and lowercase numbers and symbols all included. And but even that basic minimum, they say hackers, a good hacker can crack that password within eight hours. Anything shorter or less complex could be cracked instantly or at the very most within a few minutes by any hacker who knows what they're doing. Uh, Even if they're only using basic, uh, fairly basic equipment, they say. Meanwhile, a password that is 18 characters in length, which uses a mix of numbers, lower and uppercase letters and symbols, could take up to 438 trillion years for the average hacker to crack, according to this uh, research. 438 trillion years. And that would take some serious dedication right there. Just uh, expand your password from 8 to 18. And if you're thinking, how in the world can I remember all of that? Well, you can't. That's why you would have to uh, use a password manager of some type to uh, do that. But passwords is not that passwords can't be made secure. It's just most of us don't take the time to make them complex enough. Is basically what they're saying. So, time to change your password. And lastly here, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Get your morning started. Speaking of technology, I don't know if you're a fan of uh, comedian uh, Patton Oswalt. He has a classic bit, a classic routine about scientific advances that nobody asked for. And uh you can argue he uh, he says something to the effect of um it's the uh coulda woulda shoulda and they don't uh in in science and technology they don't think about the shoulda. <laughs> you know? Uh, in any way, you can, uh, you can argue that this one certainly falls into that category, scientific advances nobody really asked for. A high-tech company has invented something that lets people feel pain in the virtual reality world. Feel pain in virtual reality. Emmy <laughs> Tamaki, the CEO of H2L Technologies, uh, says that a near-death experience... For her teenager, inspired her to invent a way to link, to link real-life pain to Facebook's burgeoning metaverse, virtual universe. Feeling pain, she says, enables us to turn the metaverse into a real world with increased feelings of presence and immersion. While so-called heptic technology is already a thing, allowing you to feel in real life some of the sensations Uh, that your virtual self does. It's mostly been limited to pleasurable experiences. So her technology can allow people to feel the very thing that they've likely gone into the virtual world to escape. (laughs) So thank you, I guess. I I don't know. Is this a, a good thing? I guess in the one sense, it probably would be because if you think about... Uh, All of the viral internet challenges, they're just stupid things that people can hurt themselves, injure themselves, maybe kill themselves doing, and some people have. They look like a good idea online because there's no consequence. There's no pain. There's no negative result. Um, So if you add that to the metaverse, then... I don't know. I, I, I can understand. I can, I can get that argument to that extent, but <laughs> I don't know why anyone would go to the metaverse and want to feel pain. That's what we, like I said, that's usually what you go to escape. Anyway, her uh, pilot program uses a band worn on the forearm through which virtual users could feel a pecking at their skin. Uh, it could also allow someone to feel the weight of heavy objects or replicate what it was like to play catch. With their family members, something like that. So it creates a sensation that uh, currently is unavailable in the virtual world. So there you go. It's the next amazing technology. Not that we needed it or anything. Some of the first things you need to know to get your Wednesday morning started. This is ONN.
1: On the Ohio News Network, I'm Daniel Barnett. An Athens County man has been sentenced to prison for his part in the death of an 11-year-old. Donald Platt was sentenced to a term of four to six years in prison in connection with the accidental shooting death of Eli Spangler. Platt was found guilty last month of two felonies after leaving a loaded and unsecured gun in his home. Platt's 14-year-old son accidentally killed Spangler last year. He previously pleaded guilty to a charge of reckless homicide in juvenile court. And microchips are in just about everything we use, and they're in short supply. Yolanda Harris with affiliate station WBNS-TV in Columbus spoke with expert Tom Caulfield.
2: Despite best efforts, that shortage isn't going away anytime soon. The U.S. produces around 12 percent of the world's microchips. Lawmakers are hoping the Chips for America Act boosts domestic production. But it won't happen fast.
3: I'd like to be more optimistic and tell you that right around the corner helps on its way. It's uh, just the complexity of technology that it takes years to put capacity on. And I think for the better part of the next five to 10 years, we'll be chasing supply in this industry.
2: Well, some of those chips will be produced in New Albany. Intel's $20 billion facility is set to begin production in 2025. I'm Yolanda Harris.
1: For a look at state news anytime, visit onnradio.com. I'm Daniel Barnett on The Ohio News Network.
0: So our cover story this morning, as you no doubt are already aware, this is Spring Severe Weather Awareness Week in Ohio. Now, I mentioned that the statewide tornado drill that was supposed to happen at 9.50 this morning will not be happening because there is a risk of actual severe weather right on cue. We are joined this morning by Sandy Mackey, the Office of Public Affairs at the Ohio Emergency Management Agency. And Sandy, well, I remember doing these uh, tornado drills at school and I was thinking the other day, I, I don't know why when I was little I thought that tornadoes could only happen during the school day, that was the only time <laughs> that we might ever get a tornado, probably because we didn't do tornado drills anywhere else, but at school and that's part of the point of uh planning a statewide tornado drill is to encourage people to practice this, think about this uh, at home at work, and uh, elsewhere
2: Well, that's very true. Um, people don't necessarily think about tornado safety um, severe weather awareness week. You know, it gives Ohioans an opportunity to increase their awareness uh, for severe weather hazards. And we want everyone to practice sheltering. To know where to shelter, you might need to uh, evacuate to a safe place like a shelter that's set up by a Red Cross or a church. So know your routes. Make sure that you practice your plans. It's very important.
0: Knowing all of these things, obviously, in advance is a, is critical. Uh, so we know that the basement or an enclosed interior location in the middle of your home is the safest place to be in the event of a tornado. We've talked about that umpteen times. but. but. But what if you are not at home or at school? Uh, You hear the warning and you have to find shelter. What are you looking for and what should you avoid?
2: Well, you know, if you're uh, not at home, not at school, uh, where you know where you're going to shelter in advance, uh, if you're in a, say, a big box store or if you're out shopping at a mall, you need to know where the safety shelters are. And they're posted. If you go into one of these uh, businesses, you can look for that. And you probably should look for that when you go in, because you never know when you're going to need to shelter. And they can give you directions to a safety uh, area. And if you're in a vehicle, uh, if there's time, you should drive to the nearest sturdy building. If there's no time, Or as a last resort, you should get out of your vehicle and seek safe shelter in a low-lying area such as a ditch. But you also want to be mindful of uh, flooding and water when you're doing something like
0: that. Mm. Uh, Obviously, when it comes to spring severe weather, tornadoes are the first thing and maybe the worst thing that comes to mind. But certainly not the only danger. Thunderstorms and lightning are much more common and can be just as deadly, just as dangerous.
2: Yes, that's very true. Uh, There's really no safe place outside when thunderstorms are in the area. Uh, If you hear thunder or you're close enough to be struck by thunder. So if you can hear thunder or if you see lightning, you should certainly uh, seek shelter in a sturdy building. Um, A metal top vehicle with windows up is the next safest place. So if you're out and you can get to that, maybe you're out at a baseball game or something like that, Mm -hmm. uh, make sure you get off of the field. Don't shelter under trees. Right. And that sort of
0: thing. Yeah. I uh, definitely want to take this seriously. And I know, you know, the, the mindset sometimes is, oh, this is, you know, it's not going to be a big deal. 90% of the time it probably won't be. But, you know, you don't want to take that chance. And, and these things can be uh, deadly, as we have seen those stories in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, we go down the list uh, of the, the threats in the springtime, those thunderstorms and spring showers can lead to flooding and flash flooding. Uh, folks in our area are, are certainly aware uh, of the dangers of flooding, but still to be mindful of those.
2: Absolutely. Uh, this week also recognizes uh, is Flood Safety Awareness Week. You know, each year more deaths occur due to flooding than from any other thunderstorm-related hazard. Uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report that over half of flood-related drownings occur when a vehicle is driven into hazardous floodwaters. And the next highest percentage of flood-related deaths is due to walking into or near floodwaters. And people underestimate the force and the power of the water. I mean, just you have to be mindful. You have to make sure your children understand don't, you know, drive through flooded roadways. Turn around, don't drown. I know that sounds kind of cliche, but yeah. by golly, it's really
0: yeah, absolutely. And you make a good point uh, that especially young drivers uh, who are going to be uh, out this uh, spring and summer on their own uh, need to be aware of this as well. And it won't be long before the mild weather of spring turns into the oppressive heat of summer.
2: Absolutely. Um, heat is one of the leading weather-related killers. So he can be extremely taxing on your body and heat-related illnesses can occur. Uh, even during short exposures. So think of leaving your pets or your children in the car just for a minute when you run into a store. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very dangerous. Older adults, people with medical conditions, you know, you need to check on your neighbors, check on your family members. And I would also add, you know, stay hydrated. When it's really hot out, make sure that everybody has a fair amount of water to drink.
0: It's kind of interesting. We talk about the statistics and and how dangerous the heat, how dangerous flooding can be. Again, when you you think of the dangers that are uh, most serious threats to life, again, we talk about uh, tornadoes and lightning, and it turns out it's the floods, it's the heat. Those are the things that are much more common and are more common killers than people recognize. So really important to make sure that You know, we highlight those things. And then, one common denominator uh, in all of these natural disasters is the man made disaster that often comes along with it, and that is a power outage. And uh, we've talked about this in the past as well. You don't want to survive that initial storm only to put yourself in harm's way after the fact. So again, knowing what to do if you're faced with an extended power outage is part of uh, weather, severe weather preparedness as well.
2: Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, when the power is out, you know the first thing you should do is notify your power provider. Don't wait for your neighbors to do it because they may not. So let your power provider know that you don't have power. Um, you know, if you're going to use a generator or alternate uh, heater light sources, make sure that you're following the manufacturer's directions. It's very important. Uh, You have to be mindful of carbon monoxide. All different things can happen if you don't follow manufacturer's directions. And use these items safely. Um, When you're driving, if you're out in a car, be patient. Remember the power's out. A lot of the traffic lights aren't going to work. And you want to use that opportunity as a four-way stop and just
0: Be very patient. Some basic tips to keep in mind uh, with respect to many of the spring and summer hazards. As we said, this is spring severe weather awareness week in the state of Ohio. The statewide tornado drill that was scheduled for 950 this morning has been canceled due to the uh, possibility of some actual severe weather. So that will not be happening. But one other note with respect to that you want to make sure that your notifications your emergency notification uh is working whether you're relying on you know your phone or a weather radio or uh you know broadcast radio television whatever it might happen to be uh these are all ways that you can be alerted when there is severe weather and so again part of the point of the tornado drill that was supposed to happen this morning uh which again has been canceled because of the threat of actual severe weather so that Will not be happened. but point of, part of the point is to make sure that you uh, have those alerts and you have a way or multiple ways of getting the information you need in order to stay safe.
2: Absolutely. And tornado sirens, outdoor warning sirens, are only part of the uh, warning and notification puzzle. You should always have multiple ways to receive alerts. Uh, Local media has apps that you can get that can alert you. The Red Cross, the National Weather Service, uh, your local mass notification systems, and, you know, weather radios. They are kind of underrated. Uh, A lot of people think they're a little old school, but those are very, very good sources of information. Yeah. You know, with with the weather that we're experiencing uh, today, it looks like we're going to be having some thunderstorms. So we will cancel the test, Mm. the uh, tornado siren drill for today Yeah. because we want everyone to be safe and we don't want to cause any confusion.
0: Absolutely. Again, uh, Sandy Mackey with us from the Office of Public Affairs of the Ohio Emergency Management Agency. Sandy, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
2: Well, thanks
0: for having me. Well, the big news story this week has been the Senate going through the motions, the Supreme Court nomination hearing. Ketanji Brown-Jackson uh, joining us this morning to break it all down. Give his impressions. Dr. Scott Gerber he is our kind of go to expert for all things regarding constitutional law and the uh, Supreme Court. Uh, he is a uh Professor of Law at the Pettit College of Law at Ohio Northern University, also an Associated Scholar with the Brown University Political Theory Project. And so uh, I say the Senate kind of going through the motions because Democrats uh, really already have the votes to confirm. So if they wanted to just hold a vote now, uh, this whole thing would be over. So uh, given that reality... What are your impressions of what we saw yesterday in the uh, confirmation hearings?
3: Well, um, it's just a lot of political posturing by the senators. The Democrats are posturing in her favor. The Republicans are posturing to get sound bites when they run for re-election or run for president. And then she is keeping her answers quite vague. That's just the way how this the process has uh, evolved over the years
0: mm-hmm. And uh, what what did you think of the way she handled uh some of the way and and I guess you know before we get to that uh the the question that I have uh again and this is more political than judicial uh with respect to these uh, hearings given that the Democrats do uh have the votes. Um, and she's been through this process before uh, in terms of being confirmed for her uh, current position. Uh, how hard should the uh, should conservatives, should Republicans in the Senate push back? Um,
3: well, well, if they're sincere in the, the sorts of questions they're asking, uh, they should push back. But if they're just trying what? to distort facts like this uh her sentencing and child pornography or her yeah well i guess that
0: at, yeah i guess that was role. more the i guess Go that ahead. was more the question I, I, are they um are the questions fair i mean sure certainly they're going to push back and they're going to like you said uh want to uh, posture for uh in an election year um but has uh, have the criticisms been fair
3: um some of them, some of them not. So the, I think the one that is fair is uh, her failure to really say what her judicial philosophy is. Mm-hmm. All she says is that she know, she has to be neutral, she has to understand the facts, and she has to understand the law. But the question is, how do you understand the law? And there's a whole, uh, I'm teaching an entire seminar on that question this semester. There's all kinds of different approaches to it, text, history, structure, moral philosophy, all of that. And for her to claim that all she has to do is look at the law and the facts and be neutral, that's not acceptable in my opinion. Um, so I think that pushback from the Republicans is fair. I think the unfair uh, ones that jumped out at me are this bit about her being lenient in sentencing and sentencing in child pornography cases. Uh, she, all judges... Are departing from sentencing guideline recommendations in that category for the reasons that she said. So Republican uh, judges appointed by Trump are, and and so was she. So I thought that was unfair, and I also think the criticism of her work as a federal public defender in representing the Guantanamo Bay. Uh, enemy combatants was unfair because that's what she's supposed to do. She's a lawyer, mm-hmm. and so not all judges have to have been former prosecutors. And so I actually yeah. think it's a credit to her that she was on the other side, and we've never had a Supreme Court yeah. justice who was a public defender. So I good thought, for her on that.
0: I thought that was really interesting, and I did not realize that until it was brought up in the uh, reporting uh, after that exchange that you were uh, you were talking about. Uh, she would be the uh, first and, and only. Uh, Supreme Court justice with uh, experience as a public defender, and I would think that that would bring a uh, very useful, very valuable perspective to the court that hasn't been there before.
3: I I, I agree completely, and about before she was selected, I had an op-ed in the National Law Journal, and I wrote it just after the last time you and I spoke, and, you know, I also argued, though, that I think Judge Michelle Childs of the uh, District Court in uh, South Carolina would have been the better pick, and then in watching the hearings, uh, I'm even more uh, sure of that because uh, Judge uh, Brown Jackson's uh, Ivy League Harvard credentials are not, you know, bringing to light anything different than Judge Childs would have brought to the table as a graduate of a less elite law school, the University of South Carolina. But she would also bring other things to the table that someone with an elite pedigree that the system is rewarded time and time again would not.
0: And with respect to that, I mean, uh, much has been made uh, in terms of the makeup of the uh, court. She would be the first uh, African American woman uh, to uh, to sit on the uh, on the court, and again, uh, bringing a unique experience that uh, to this point has not been uh, part of the makeup of the court. Um, and, and I think we've talked about this uh, before when her nomination was uh, was announced. You know, is there value in that as well in terms of in a, a, a installing a, a different viewpoint uh, to the high court in that regard.
3: Yes, I, I think President Biden was perfectly within his right and should be applauded for realizing that um, it would be a good thing for the country to have an African-American a woman finally on the court. And, you know, Ronald Reagan, when he was running for president, Uh, did the same thing by uh, promising to appoint the first woman Mm -hmm. to the court. And President Trump did the same thing. When Justice Ginsburg died, he promised to appoint a woman to the court. So they did it, and I think it's fine that they did it, and it's fine that he did it and added the race dimension to it. That's fine.
0: Because because that was one of the uh, criticisms. It was uh, Ted Cruz uh, that uh, accused it of being uh, affirmative action on the court
3: no that's unfair that's silly Cruz is pandering to some uh, uh constituency that he hopes will catapult him to the to the white house so that that's unfair I think
0: so at the end of the day, uh like we said you know the votes are are already there to confirm, barring a complete uh collapse uh, in whatever uh hearings that we have uh, yet to come um, but uh this doesn't ultimately change the makeup right versus left of the court obviously so in the end how significant uh is this uh nominee in the grand scheme of things
3: it's significant in the in the uh, to the extent that she's uh, 3 decades younger than the person she's going to replace <laughs> yeah, that so true. that'll be th- you know 3 decades of of uh, a liberal vote uh uh so that's that's significant there's no doubt about that
0: Again, uh, Dr. Scott Gerber is with us, uh, political science professor, the Pettit School of Law, uh, er, uh, law professor, associate law professor, the Pettit School of Law, Ohio Northern University, uh, associate scholar of the Brown University Political Theory Project, uh, talking about the uh, nomination uh, hearings for Ketanji Brown-Jackson, the Supreme Court happening this week. Uh, Dr. Gerber, thanks very much for your insight uh, on this. We certainly appreciate it. Give gives some interesting uh, perspective on what we are hearing, what we are seeing uh, this week in the Senate.
3: You're welcome, as always, Chris. We interrupt this program
0: to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A follow-up to the story that we had uh, a few weeks ago, you remember the cabin in northern Michigan that was stolen last month. <laughs> and we had that story. We wondered, how in the world do you steal a house? Uh, well, good news: it has been found. The cabin was located by troopers from the Michigan State Police Houghton Lake post at a residence in Orange Township, thanks to tips and leads from the public. <laughs> can you imagine can, can you imagine phoning in that uh that tip uh hello uh officers i think i uh found this missing house <laughs> my neighbor has a house that wasn't there before <laughs> that's gonna be an unusual tip to get um the 12 foot by 28 foot cabin was reported stolen by its owner on february 7th at the time Trooper Matthew Scott, who was investigating the ta- the case, told the Defor- Detroit Free Press that the owner lived in the home for a while until he took up residence elsewhere. There are currently two suspects believed to be involved with the theft because you can't steal a house on your own. You have to- <laughs> this, this is at least a two-person job, I would think. Uh, the case is still being investigated. We don't have a whole lot of uh, information at this point. We don't know, will the house be held as evidence? Uh, will it be returned to its rightful owner? Uh, a lot of things still uh, to be resolved about this case, but we do know that the <laughs> stolen house has been located. <clears throat> so, there we go. Uh, a couple of other uh, items in the broken news this morning. A police chase in San Diego turned out to be an example of uh, getting lost in translation. Literally, uh, police in Chula Vista tried to pull a car over for an equipment violation Uh, Equipment violation, that's uh, police speak for, you know, like a broken taillight or or something like that, an equipment violation. But the driver just kept going, Uh, did not pull over. Uh, There was an eight minute chase uh, through the neighborhood and onto the freeway in uh, San Diego, all at normal speeds. That's the thing. It was not a high speed chase. It was not a particularly low speed chase. It was just the guy was just driving, ignoring the police officer (laughs) behind. behind him when the driver finally did stop it turned out that he and his wife uh and their children uh with him in the car uh police say he was from a foreign country and was confused about what exactly he was supposed to do (laughs) i guess i never really thought about that you think that that's kind of universal but depending on what country he was from uh there might be confusion how am i supposed to act what am i supposed to do uh, the family was eventually released without a citation. So they cut him a break there. <laughs> He's got a story to tell when he goes home. Never believe it happened to me when I was on vacation. Uh, speaking of uh, traffic incidents, kind of uh, interesting here. A tractor trailer hauling mulch with manure on the Scarborough South Portland stretch of Maine's I-295 overturned yesterday, leaving behind a big mess. Uh, We know that it was a tractor-trailer-loaded unit with mulch that contained manure, according to Maine state troopers. There are many, many crappy jokes going around here today. (laughs) All lanes, all lanes of the interstate ramp were blocked, forcing traffic to detour through town. Officials, it was a real, real mess there, too. Officials say no other vehicles were involved. No one was injured. But again, can you imagine uh, getting to work and trying to explain that to your boss? There was just a bunch of crap on the highway. That's. (laughs) Oh, goodness. This is all kinds of weird, and it is actually a follow up. I think we talked about this uh, some time back. This has been a long time ago. We talked uh, about Colorado uh, being the first state to allow this. And now, finally, for the first time, a funeral home in the Centennial State is laying to rest their first legally composted human remains. Composted human remains. Uh, It's been about a year after Colorado first legalized the process as a more environmentally friendly alternative to traditional burial or cremation. The person laid to rest was reported to Also be the first in the state to use a process known as natural reduction, which composts human bodies into soil. Uh, This is according to the funeral services producer, the natural funeral in Colorado. I don't know. Um, I guess if you are very environmentally conscious, this would be the way to be laid to rest. So far, Colorado, the only state where this is actually legal. I guess I don't know why not. Anyway, Uh, and how about this in the uh, broken news from the international file? Uh, You can call him the Japanese answer to George Costanza. Shoji Morimoto has developed a cult following in Japan as the do nothing guy. He's 38 years old. He has spent the last four years offering himself as a warm body who can simply be there liberating his clients from the social expectations of the spoken and unspoken norms of Japanese society. He has inspired a TV series and three books and has become an international celebrity through his viral social media posts. His resume includes waiting at the finish line of a marathon for a client who wanted to see a familiar face at the end of the race. <laughs> That's his job. He uh, also is hired to sit with someone while they finished their thesis because they might slack off if they were working alone and he uh, also took a job listening to healthcare workers describe the mental health toll of the COVID-19 pandemic because they just needed uh someone to uh they needed to bend the ear of somebody and he was there to do that that's his job he rents himself out as a warm body who can simply be there when someone needs someone to be there for whatever reason he charges The equivalent of about $82 per session. And he says the lifestyle certainly suits him. He's not that talkative. He says he's not that talkative or expressive. Even when he's not working, he wears his signature blue hat and a hoodie and a blank stare (laughs) so that his clients can easily recognize him. But uh, he does say that he will dress up when the situation requires it. (laughs) What? What a career I need to. He is my hero. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. and now your daily download the numbers behind the news the statistics that shape our lives and speaking of shaping our lives you know that social media really uh, shapes modern life but this is really interesting uh, research from the uh, pew research uh, folks it turns out that 25 percent of all twitter users produce 97 percent of all of the tweets on the platform so One quarter of the users of Twitter produce nearly all of the content on the site, meaning that most users on that social media platform are lurkers. They're just there to read the content produced by others, not to post things themselves. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. They uh, analyzed data from uh, last year, and they asked folks about this, uh, the folks at Pew did. And uh, the data uh, shows that uh, age seems to be the biggest factor between active tweeters and lurkers. Frequent tweeters, defined as users who post more than five tweets or retweets a month. So, again, five a month is... I don't know how frequent I would consider. I would still consider that fairly infrequent use, but that's the threshold that they use to distinguish between frequent and infrequent tweeters, five tweets or retweets a month. Uh, the frequent tweeters tend to be between the ages of 1824 lurkers who posted fewer than five tweets or retweet retweets a month. That's hard to say. Uh, That made up roughly half of U.S. users, and that tend to be between the ages of 30 to 49. They found the top reasons that lurkers use the platform uh, is to uh, stay informed. I mean, aside from just entertainment, uh, they say they want to stay informed and they want to see a different point of view. And thus, that's why we say it's not necessarily a bad thing that most of the people uh, on Twitter specifically, but social media generally are lurkers rather than participants if they are using it for that purpose, to primarily uh, see what others are saying, uh, maybe expose themselves to a different point of view, something new to consider. 76% of lurkers in the survey said that they use the platform primarily to see what others are saying rather than express their own opinion. Past studies have correlated lurking with concerns over online privacy and anxiety, but that's more stalking, and that's not what we're talking about here. The Oxford Handbook of Cyber Psychology argues that lurkers are legitimate online participants, even if they aren't actively participating in the platform. So again, it's the difference between lurking and stalking, that's not what we're talking about, but just being on these platforms... For the purpose of expanding your point of view, uh, seeing what others are saying about topics that you're interested in, there is some value uh, to that, even if you are not participating in the discussion. So, interesting stuff there. Sarah Covenance is here from the Findlay Hancock County Public Library to tell us what's happening in the month of April and... Actually, even before that, we're going to wrap up uh, Community Read Month. I know next week is the uh, date for... Uh, the community read author to be here, which is kind of the tradition, uh, the culmination of Community Read Month. So.
4: Absolutely, March has just flown by. It's hard to yes. believe we're at the end of the month already. And <laughs> Sadiqua Johnson will be joining us on Tuesday at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts.
0: Okay, so that is coming up on Tuesday, and there are still tickets available. For there that. are
4: still tickets available. Yes, and if you have not yet read the Community Read book, Yellow Wife, that's okay. Come anyway. I've I've had the opportunity to hear lots of authors speak at conferences and. Sometimes hearing the author really inspires you to read the book,
0: and it's always enjoyable whether or not yeah. you've you've read their work. Hey, and if uh, you've got nothing else to do this weekend, you can you know uh, curl up with a with a book and and uh, you know have it read in just a couple of days. So
4: absolutely, this rainy weather not is too perfect. Late.
0: Not too late to do that. Um, so. And, and and we were talking a little bit before we went on the air, good response to the uh, community read program, uh, this year, this uh, really touches on some hot button issues right now.
4: It does. And it's a, you know, there's a lot of scenes in the book that are very difficult to read. It's a, Mm -hmm. it's a very challenging part of our history to, to read and learn about and, and experience even just through literature. Um, but we've heard so many wonderful things from folks who have been reading the book and, um, the many book discussions we've had have helped generate a lot of great questions for the yeah. author.
0: A, a little discomfort is not necessarily a bad thing. It is uh, not. It, and uh, especially surrounding this topic, it should be a very interesting evening on uh, on Tuesday. So definitely worth a couple hours of your time. That is uh, Tuesday, the 29th, 730. Correct. Marathon at Marathon Center. Center. For the Performing Arts, and uh, again, you can get tickets uh, from the MCPA website. You also have a link up at your website for we uh, information on that. So looking ahead a little bit past that, get into the month of April, National Library Week is coming up.
4: National Library Week, that first full week of April. We're really excited this year to celebrate. Um, on the Wednesday in particular is Library Outreach Day, so okay. all about those the bookmobiles and the the programs that get outside of the library. So we'll have a a, Can You Find the Bookmobile contest on (laughs) April sixth, uh nine to one. The bookmobile will be on the move around Finley. We'll be posting clues up on our Facebook. So uh, make sure you check those out and see if you can
0: track us down. I would imagine that that should be fairly easy to spot. It's, it, it's hard to hide a bookmobile. It is a pretty large vehicle, but you know, there's <laughs> lots of places in Finley it could be. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true as well. So uh, that is what, uh, Wednesday? Wednesday, April 6th from nine to okay. one. All right, so very good. And- uh, Other things going on in the uh, month of April that are, uh, some are and some aren't necessarily tied to Library Week, I would imagine.
4: Well, absolutely. Over the course of the month, we have 40 programs for all ages. A lot of things going on. you know, help us celebrate National Library Week by just coming in and visiting us, right? If you haven't been in the library recently, come in, check us out, check out a book. If you haven't been to a program recently, there's a lot of options for all ages, from baby story time to a lecture about John Dillinger. um, Mm. Master Gardeners will be in
0: You mentioned John Dillinger. There's a a lot of local history uh, surrounding that, or regional history. uh, There
4: absolutely is. Yes, it'll be a Bluffton historian, Fred Steiner, who's going to give that talk. If you're interested in in your family's history, there's a genealogy lock-in at the end of the month, so... A lot of great choices. The
0: um, so give us uh, some of the uh, highlights of uh, things that are going on uh, program-wise in the month of uh, April.
4: Well, you know, one that we've been really excited about this year is a, a new partnership. It's a children's program. It's the Borderless Relations Committee that's been putting this on. It's a group of high school students uh, who wanted to uh, hold programs where they could explore different cultures through literature and, hmm. um, So they approached the library if we'd be willing to host, and they've been working closely with Sarah Kramer and our children's department and and are just doing a fantastic job. So it's really great when we can partner with um, individuals in our community to bring programs yeah. to our patrons. Especially
0: young people. Especially uh, young people. We're looking to broaden their horizons. Uh, yes. that's, that's really exciting. And uh, those programs, are they geared specifically for teens, or is that open to everyone?
4: No, those are for uh, younger children as okay.
0: well. Okay, yes. so uh, something worth checking out for the younger kids. And as you said, uh, you know, for all ages, starting right after birth, you've got...
4: Baby story time. Yeah. It's never too early to start reading with your children, and I think sometimes... Uh, it, you know, we can all sit down and read a book, but there's, there's those extra things that we can do when we're reading to help build our children's early literacy skills. And story time helps demonstrate those to parents, helps them become more comfortable with all of those silly things that are, are just part of helping your children grow and learn.
0: Yeah. And then uh, to build on that and, and uh, foster that continued love of reading, you have a number of uh, children's programs.
4: We do. We have story times, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, a family story time on uh, in the evening on Monday the 4th. Uh, You know, we know those daytime story times aren't always convenient for families to get to, so we like to Mm -hmm. give them an opportunity at another time. We have a drawing club uh, that meets monthly for tweens. They'll they'll be learning Japanese calligraphy uh, in April, which should be a good time. All right, Uh, monthly makerspace for tweens. Uh, We have um, tiny art is something we're really excited about this month for lots of ages. Uh, Art walk is coming up and. And, mm-hmm. uh, first weekend in May, yeah, and we'll have a tiny art show as part of our art walk. Okay. So if you'd All like right. to come in uh, in April, we have a few opportunities for you to create your tiny art to be part of our art show.
0: Very cool. And then uh, for adults, you have a number of uh, programs where people can get involved in the uh, at the library as well.
4: We do. Uh, uh, the Spotted lantern fly is coming. Master Gardeners are going to be here to tell us uh, why we should be concerned about that. Uh, Money Mondays is a monthly program uh, that just covers a lot of different Uh, Money topics in April, they'll talk about social security. Answer your questions there. Uh, We have a program on learning how to meal prep. Um, Medicine of the Civil War is one of our last events for Community Read that will actually hold over into April just learning about that that time of change in in the history of medicine. Yeah,
0: uh, really interesting to look back at what was considered standard practice of the day. Science is always evolving. (laughs) (laughs) And thank goodness for that. When you look at some of the uh, practices of that era, uh, that is uh, interesting stuff. Now, for these programs, do folks need to sign up in advance or are these sort of drop-in programs? Uh,
4: Some of each. uh, A lot of our children's programs, we're still trying to— to kind of control the, the number of people in the room still yeah. being cautious there. Uh, so check our website, finleylibrary.org. All the programs are listed on are our events calendar. And it'll let you know if you need to sign up or if you can just drop in.
0: Okay. And, uh, and again, library week uh, coming up the first full week of April, a great time to discover or rediscover the library. Uh, drop by and you still have uh, all kinds of options uh, in person and online.
4: We do, sure. yes.
0: And uh, it is uh, a great time to uh, drop by the library maybe for the first time in a while. Again, reminder that uh, the Community Read uh, feature event is uh, Sadiqa Johnson uh, in town on Tuesday, 7.30 at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. More information on that and all of the rest of the programs, the Finlay Hancock County Public Library coming up through the month of April at our webpage. You go to goodmornings.net for that. And again, uh, Director Sarah Clevins, thanks very much for dropping by. We Thank you, it. And that will wrap up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Lots to do tomorrow on the program from our home front to the front lines. We have details on a local effort to offer support and relief to the people of Ukraine. Plus, the three major reporting agencies say most medical debt will no longer have a negative impact on your credit score We'll take a closer look at what that means for you and for lenders so until tomorrow morning that is good mornings for this morning now that you've had a good morning go on out make it a good day we'll catch you back here tomorrow